The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Border Patrol agents enjoy great pay, outstanding federal benefits, and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives. If you are looking for a way to serve something greater than yourself, consider the U.S. Border Patrol. Learn more online at cbp.gov slash careers slash USBP. That's cbp.gov slash careers slash USBP. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since we discovered Spotify for Podcasters, we feel like having options like video podcasts and Q&A lets us be more creative on another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Welcome to On the Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. Uh, the Orioles just made their final pick of the 2020 draft moments ago. Uh, we're here now to run down our thoughts on a draft that saw the Orioles go in a direction that a lot of people would not have expected. It started Wednesday night with Heston Kerstad, an out- outfielder out of Arkansas, going with the number two overall pick. It ends with the Orioles taking two high upside but certainly risky high school picks in the fourth and fifth round in Kobe Mayo, a third baseman out of Stoneman Douglas in the fourth round, and then the fifth round Carter Baumler out of Downing Catholic High School in Iowa. Uh, Both players have college commitments. In Mayo's case, it's to the University of Florida. In Baumler's, it's to TCU. Uh, Early hunts, for me at least, is the Orioles are going to have to go over slot on both. Uh, but that if they're going to go with them in those spots, particularly in such a shortened draft, they're pretty confident that they can get a deal done. Uh, but before we get into, as we get into all the ins and outs of the drafts, I'm going to start first with Nick. How did you think the Orioles did? Uh, this draft was definitely shocking, to say the least. I think <laughs> last night was a lot of just uh, watching kind of Orioles Twitter meltdown and just Orioles fans kind of lose it uh, just because we've seen up to this point Austin Martin, Austin Martin, Austin Martin, maybe Ace Lacey, maybe Nick Gonzalez, but then it comes out with Heston Kerstad out of Arkansas. The entire draft as a whole, I think, was just shocking, not what people were hoping for, but it's still an interesting group of picks. You know, I think a, something that all these picks have in common when you hear the experts talk about them or their power, their power potential. Um, Ability to barrel baseball, high exit velocities, big-time athletes, you know, those are key words that I like to hear. Um, I like the Kerstad pick. When you look at him as kind of like this, one of the higher floors among any of the draft picks. Um, yeah. 
that power from a left-handed bat, him coming into Camden Yards, I, I'm intrigued by the pick, um, especially Kerstad there. Whether it saved money or not, I don't really care about that philosophy or that take. I, I think I believe my class when he says, look, he was one of the highest-ranked players out on our board. We're going with him. Um, let, let's see how the power plays. Let's see how quickly he goes up through the system. Yeah, you got to be happy with the draft anytime you can get a more athletic Zank Greinke into your system. So there's always that. No. Um, yeah, it was very unusual. It was not what we were expecting, like like Nick said. Uh, but I just think Elias and Maidal, they just they have a strategy and model. It seems like they stick to it. Last draft, last year in 2019, what we had, what, seven of our first eight picks were college position players uh, up the middle, and they went along the same lines this year. Um, seems like they like safe, relatively safe, high floor with some upside guys, athleticism, high velocity off the bat. Uh, they have they have a, a type, so to speak, and they nailed it. Um, yeah, I was expecting more high upside high school pitchers with the second, third, fourth picks. It never happened. It seemed like there were opportunities where they could have got some high upside arms, but they decided to go another way. And at least we upgraded the overall talent when it comes to position players, and that's what our system needs. You don't usually draft by need, but that is the silver lining. Yeah, the, the Kerstad pick for me was an interesting one because – I do think that there is a genuine belief, at least from what we're hearing from the Orioles, and I do think it's true, that Kerstad, they rate Kerstad higher than a lot of pundits did and maybe a lot of other organizations did. Some of that, I think, is maybe banking on the idea that over a shortened college season, we did see him improve in terms of strikeout and walks. That's been one big knock on his game for a while. And maybe they believed over the course of a full college season that that would have proved to be lasting. Um, do either one of you think that if that had been the case, Kerstad's not as much of a reach because maybe rather than being a consensus top, say, 7 to 11 or 12 pick, he's now top 5, top 7? I could see that, especially if he maintained that lower teamers halved his strikeout percentage from the season before. And yeah, it was only a few weeks of baseball, and I guess it wasn't really into conference play yet, but if he can really show that that was an improvement he made over that off season. Then with his power, I think that's definitely a guy that could have moved up a couple notches on the board. Yeah. I think you saw a lot of questions about like Austin Martin's power. Would that power ever translate? Where would he play on defense? I know there's all talk about the hit tool, but it seemed like there's a lot more risk involved with um, the Austin Martin pick. There's certainly risk in taking a guy like Asa Lacey. There's a risk in taking any pitching prospect. But I like the high floor of Kerstad. I think that power, you know, what do you have, almost 30 home runs in two-plus seasons at Arkansas. Um, you know, the biggest knock seems to be the strikeouts. But I think just across baseball, strikeouts are going to go up. I don't think they're going to dejuice the baseball anytime soon. So why not just stock your lineup with power hitters who can crush a baseball? Um, and Kerstad is that guy. And like you said, Bobby, lowered that strikeout rate over the last season or so. Um, He's had success outside. Has played for the Team USA uh, last season and seemed to be one of the better hitters there statistically. Um, I like it. You know, I think um, you pair him with Adley Rutschman in the middle of a lineup, and you've got a good start there for building towards the future. So, you know, 
I think hopefully in a few years we look back and say it wasn't just the super safe pick. I think Michael Elias really does believe that he was one of the top two, three best players in the draft. And all we can do is wait and see. And Nick, I, I, I agree with you on strikeouts. You know, that's a trend that right now in today's baseball, you know, you don't want players to strike out a high rate, but that's where the game is right now. Pitchers are striking out hitters more. Um, in my mind, if Kerstad is able to make up for that by getting on base at a high rate um, and is able to stick at one of the corner outfield spots, preferably right field, which might be achievable with a short right field of Camden Yards, time will tell. I'll feel a little bit better about the pick. Um, the power, though, and I saw this comparison thrown around a few times, could be in that Kyle Schwarber mode. But if you're able to take Kyle Schwarber, get a little bit more out defensively, and get someone to gets on base uh, at a higher rate than Schwarber does, I don't think that's a bad pick. Certainly not, yeah. And maybe Elias and Sig, maybe part of their thing is strikeouts – they don't seem as big of a deal nowadays and maybe if other teams are going to ding players for that they're going to take advantage of it and focus on getting guys that maybe they strike out a lot but they have other tools that can make up for it in today's game so the orioles kind of went in a similar uh position in terms of profile but with a shortstop in jordan westberg they took him 30th overall the Orioles had some had thought that the Orioles might go with a guy that they could sign for above slot value after saving on Kerstad with that pick. In the end, I, I think they pick a player that probably was going to go somewhere in that range, even in normal circumstances. Um, reports on his power and speed are really high. But again, there are questions about strikeouts. Um, had success at Mississippi State as a shortstop. Um, there is a sense that if he does not stick at shortstop, maybe he can move to second or third. Uh, Bob, what were your thoughts on that pick? Yeah, I think he's right around slot here. I don't think he was under or over or anything. I think they just like this guy. He's big for a shortstop, but it sounds like his athleticism and his tools are more his calling card than his actual results so far when it came to college. seems like he... He did pretty good in the SEC, but it seems like he, there's room for him to improve there and really tap into that power and that hit tool, and he's got speed for his size. So maybe he can stick it short. Maybe he's more of a third baseman, but he seems like a pretty talented player to add. Yeah, another one of those guys that just, when you hear the experts talk about them, it mentioned a lot of just how athletic he is. Uh, that potential for power, you know, it's another polished SEC bat. I'm fine with that. Michael I seems to love the, the polished college hitters. Um, no pitch, well, one pitcher in this year's draft. Like you mentioned, Bob, last year, it was Griffin McClarty at a college of Charleston in the eighth round before the Orioles took a pitcher. I don't know why they're not going after pitchers early on. Uh, but, you know, when you get guys like Westberg into the system, the Orioles need middle infielders. Um he didn't really hit, I think, as much as you want to see someone picked in this slot. I think he had a 285 uh, batting average at Mississippi State in two-plus years. He only hit 10 home runs. But yeah, all the scouting reports say there's potential for more power there. Um, he did hit four home runs this year in 25 games, so you saw that power tick up a little bit. Um, you know, Again, it was the extreme exit velocities. I think I saw he was like top 10 in the draft class in average exit velocity last season. Um, speed, something the Orioles don't have a lot of. 
Um, I think it's a good pick right where he was supposed to go. Once you saw Nick Bitsko get taken by Tampa Bay, I think at that point um, it, it seemed I didn't know where the Orioles were going to go, but um wasn't a shock to see a guy like Westberg getting picked there. Yeah, Nick Bitsko was kind of the guy that I thought, you know, maybe the Orioles would be able to get with that 30th pick. Tampa Bay, you know, really put a speed bump there, though, maybe by taking Bitsko. But I think the Orioles ultimately went with someone who um, probably was going to go in that range regardless. And it goes against type a little bit, um, at least from what we saw in the Dan Duquette years. I felt like under Duquette, the Orioles were very defensive-minded when they came to drafting middle infielders, especially college players. Whereas Westberg, um, in terms of power, some of the reports are a little bit higher. And I know there are questions about his defense, but... Nick, do you think this is maybe reflective of a different direction that Michael Elias is going to go in than what we saw from Dan Duquette? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I think we already see that. You're, he's focusing on these last two drafts with just going with guys, strength up the middle, those center fielders who maybe they stick, maybe they don't in center field, but at least they have additional tools. All these guys have multiple tools in, in their skill set that, that I think the Orioles can tap into. Um, Again, it's maybe Westberg and players like Westberg don't have the you know flashy tools uh, that they can really rely on, but they seem more consistent across the board. And it's just, yeah, I think, Bob, you mentioned this earlier, Michael Elias has his type. He's got his type. He has his model, and it seems like he's really sticking to that model. Forget what consensus reports say. Forget what your prospect ranking list says about the guy. They have their model. They have their data that we don't have access to. They're plugging it in and spin a player out, and it's players like Westberg who might be more consistent across the board, can play multiple positions, just get them in the system, trust this new player development process that the Orioles have in place, and see what happens when they get into the upper minors. Um, you know, if, if you've got three shortstops who can hit the ball, who, who can hit 20 home runs in three years, great. Stick one in your starting lineup, trade the other two uh, for pitchers at this point because I think we need that, but yeah. Um, I like this. I like the direction this is going in the beginning. I think one thing that I was thinking about is like we always say the Orioles are going through this rebuild, and like it's it's not really much of a like this. We're building from the ground up, like almost literally like from batting cages in the Dominican Republic from the ground up. Yeah. Um, and so it's just getting the talent in there, and, and guys like Westberg are talented players who um, are going to climb up through the system pretty fast. Yeah. To me. Elias wants athletes that can hit, and he trusts that the coaches will put them in the right spot to uh, make the plays defensively. That's what it says to me. So in the with the 39th pick, the Orioles took Hudson Haskin out of Tulane. Um, that was a little bit of a surprise for me. Uh, some reports on Haskin are positive, but note one in particular I'm reading from MLB.com notes that his swing can get a little bit long at times. Tracks the ball well in center field, shows good instincts. Um, certainly not a pick, though, without risk. Uh, Nick, what was your initial reaction when they went with Haskin? Uh, who, who is Hudson Haskin? <laughs> <laughs> like, um, th- that was definitely the shock of this whole draft. But again, there's a system, there's a model. It's uh, analytics-based, and uh, this is the name that popped out. Um, yeah, when you read about it, I-, I know Baseball America had him ranked 211th. Um, I think previous guest, Dr. Stephen Loftus, uh, he had a tweet that said he had Haskin ranked 359th in his model. Um, 
so that's definitely surprising. Um, you know, when you had I, I saw pitchers like Dex Fulton there, CJ Van Eck out of Florida State, uh, even a guy like Chris McMahon out of Miami, and those real tougher signs. Jared Kelly was a name I know a lot of Orioles fans were kind of hoping would go. What I was hoping for. Yeah, I, I think I'll, most Orioles fans were going Kelly there, Cole Wilcox, Cole Henry out of LSU. Those tougher signs were still there, and to go with an outfielder from Tulane was definitely shocking. But I think it was, I don't know if it was uh, Mayo or, or Callis on MLB broadcast, though, said potentially he's a 2020 guy, 20 home runs, 20 stolen bases. So again, I, he seems, it also reminded me of a pick kind of like a Johnny Riser, Zach Watson pick last year. Again, guys, just that strength up the middle and, and see what happens. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. He fits that mold of all the outfielders we took last year. Maybe not Stowers. He's more of a corner guy. But, yeah, like you said, Watson and Riser. But, yeah, again, just another athlete, toolsy guy who's well-rounded. Seems like he's going to stick in center field, pure center fielder with speed and potential power as long as he can make enough contact with the ball. It's, uh, yeah, I was surprised, to say the least, by the pick and a little disappointed, but... I don't know. Elias, is he's making his own stamp on this draft, and he's going to be judged by it because Orioles fans have finally fallen out of love with him. Yeah, and that's something I do want to get into more later on. And, I, you know, some one of some of that, I think, has to do a little bit maybe with Austin Martin falling to a division rival. Uh, but that's something I definitely want to focus on later in the show. But I had kind of expected that Wilcox was going to be the pick just based on how the draft had unfolded so far. And I thought, okay. I know Michael Elias, you know, has not shown a real inkling to draft college pitchers over the last few years, but maybe this is the arm that he makes the exception for. Ultimately, that doesn't happen. Um, This is a a pretty big risk on the Orioles' part with this pick. And I'm hopeful that because he's a college player, maybe we're a little bit more sure about his defensive profile because that's one problem the Orioles have had over the years is they'll have a center fielder that's lower in the farm system. And then they start to move up the rankings a little bit, and it's apparent, oh, they're filling out too much. They need to move to a corner. Or it's a guy like Cedric Mullins, who came up in 2018, to me did not look like the same player he had been in the minor leagues. I thought he was running, taking bad routes to the ball. You had a lot of questions about his arm. Maybe drafting a player that's a little bit more advanced in his development gives a little bit of hope that he could actually stick in center field. But it's nonetheless, it's a risky pick. So the Orioles um, in the third round went with Anthony Servideo, uh, someone whose defense gets rave reviews, uh, struggled at the plate in the Cape Cod League in a stint there last summer, but was showing a little bit of promise at the plate before the season was shut down this year. Um, one, some reports I've read suggest that this is someone who profiles maybe worst case scenario as a utility player that can play shortstop in the outfield positions and give you speed. Um, Bob, what do you think of that type of player with uh, a third-round pick? I mean, I mean, if he does become that, if he becomes a defensive-minded shortstop, like able to play shortstop with a good defense and around the diamond, that's pretty good for a third round, I feel like. But I think Cole Wilcox was still available at this pick, and that's definitely the route I would have gone. But like I said, if he pans out and he is a utility guy, then it's not a wasted pick, and you can get value out of that. But I was definitely a little disappointed in this pick. Yeah, I think, you know, 
a lot of the question was the hit tool. Can he hit? Um, he, he hit 149 in the Cape Cod League last year, which this past summer, which I think is pretty telling. Um, but he still had a, a 440 career on base percentage at Ole Miss. 17 games this season, he had 24 walks. Uh, so the guy can can walk. He can get on base. He's got speed, uh, a lot of speed. 24 stolen bases as a sophomore. He had nine this year already. And he only got caught three times during that whole span. So, again, speed, he can get on base. And all the scouting reports rave about his defense. So if they can move him around the infield, maybe the outfield, I, I don't know. But if he's someone that can be a utility player, I think if you compare him to what's already in the system, you know, is he better than like a Richie Martin? Uh, possibly Richie Martin does, doesn't really walk that much. Um, we didn't really get to see his speed that year. I would kind of base him on, compare him to the Richie Martin, compare him to a, a Caden Grenier. It almost seems like another Caden Grenier type pick. Um, but I think Grenier had more promise with his hit tool, and we just haven't seen that. Um, you know, if this is a guy, again, strength up the middle, he, the defense. I really like the defense there um, and the speed combination. And, and if he can rise above the ranks of all the other utility players in the minor leagues, then it's something. It's not a wasted pick there. Yeah, this to me kind of feels like is his bat just going to get to the point where it's just good enough that if you have to stick him at the bottom of the order, but he adds a lot of value with his defense, the pick works. Or maybe he doesn't hit enough to hold down an everyday job you know, an everyday spot in the lineup. But because he runs well, because he can play multiple positions well, he has a spot in the majors. I still would have hoped here that the Orioles would have gone with Wilcox, as Bob said. That might be remembered as a player that got away because the Orioles had basically three pretty good opportunities to take him and didn't. Um, so that's something going forward we're going to have a lot of questions about. But Servideo, certainly not a player without intrigue. And I'll be curious to see how he develops once he's in the system. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah, I so, think I saw, I was going to say, I think some, I can't remember who tweeted it. Otherwise, I'd give him credit for it. But he said, um, the San Diego Padres are doing what the Orioles should have done. And I think they were the ones that grabbed Cole Wilcox, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yep. They went the high school route, which is what AJ Preller is going to do. After spending a year writing about the San Diego Padres, he loves high school kids. Uh, I wish, I do wish the Orioles would have went that way. And yeah, I, I wish Cole Wilcox, we'd be talking about him right now, but as an Oriole, but oh well, we'll see. Yeah, the Padres did Cole was did go with Cole Wilcox, and you're right, Nick. You know, AJ Preller covets those kind of players, yeah. so it's not a surprise that he ends up falling to San Diego, um, and maybe the Padres, you know, find a way to make that work. And remember, we look back four or five years from now and realize they're a team that really made the most out of a shortened draft. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and I believe that was Nick Falaris that tweeted that. Yes, yes, saw that too. <laughs> So I mentioned this at the top of the show, but the Orioles ended the draft with probably two names that may end up requiring them to go over slot. Um, Most things I have seen about Kobe Mayo, who went in the fourth round, have suggested that that is going to be an over slot sign. Um, Again, right now, as we're recording this, there's no done deal. But I would have to think that if the Orioles went with Mayo here, uh, they're pretty confident they're going to get a deal done. Uh, University of Florida commit. all reports I've read about him rave about his power. They rave about his arm, but there's a lot of questions about the overall hit tool and whether or not he's going to stick at third base. Right now, Mayo per MLB.com listed at 6'5", 215 pounds. Um, you have to figure he's 
it has a chance to outgrow the position pretty quickly. But again, time will tell. Bob, do you think that the Orioles maybe with this pick found the high upside player they're looking for in the later rounds? Or do you have some question marks about Mayo? I have a couple question marks about him, but I do think that with their last two picks, they did get some guys that they would like to spend some money on. I think you only get comp uh, picks for like the first two or three rounds if you don't sign someone. So I feel like they have to have a good idea that they're going to sign these last two guys. But uh sounds like this kid can hit. He's a bit, definitely big at 18 years old to be 6'5", 215. Uh, sounds like a future first baseman, but apparently he has a rocket for an arm. So maybe he can land in a corner outfield spot. And um, maybe it's Ryan Mountcastle with less of a slightly less of a hit tool and an arm. Best yeah. case scenario. Yeah, I got kind of worried there, too, and I think, like, oh, do we have another Ryan Mountcastle situation? Um, but, yeah, I mean, all the videos you see of him online, just since he was drafted, obviously, he's a high school kid out of Florida, so we're just going on scouting reports and what videos we can find on social media right now, but the kid looks like a stud, 6'5", 215 pounds already. Um, apparently, Rakobako is saying that both Mayo and um, the fifth-round pick, Balmer, are signing or do plan okay. to sign with the Orioles. So um, if so, that's great. That's awesome. I think that's where this kind of saves the draft for the Orioles, for Orioles yeah. fans at least. I think this is where it saves a little bit, where we can throw a lot of money. Um, what was, yeah, Kobe Mayo, the the slot value was just over $550,000. So he's probably going to get a lot more than that, one to $2 million. Um, if, if both those guys can come in and get signed, I think these are your high risk, but high reward guys who aren't going to be, they may not be very high in the top 30 list when they come out. Uh, but these are guys who after a year next year, when hopefully baseball is back, minor league baseball is back. These guys get, guys get into the system. They could be guys that really open up a lot of eyes. Yeah. You guys both brought up Ryan Mountcastle, which I think is a good point because, you know, since Mountcastle was drafted and we've seen him progress through the system, it seems like every high school bat the Orioles draft gets compared to Mountcastle. The one thing that I think with Mayo, there is some similarities, questions about the overall hit tool, whether or not he can stick at his current position. Uh, but the reports on Mayo's arm, for me, separate him from where Mountcastle was at this stage a little bit. Um, Mountcastle's arm was never particularly highly related, at least that I remember. So I am a little bit more hopeful that we'll see some defensive versatility maybe in that Austin Riley mode. Well, that's a yeah, bigger that guy. Be... The Braves have kind of moved around a little bit. Um, that hopefully will be the case with Mayo. Yeah, I like that comp. Yeah, that was actually a comp I saw somewhere. I can't remember. It might have been Perfect Game or one of the scouting outlets had the Austin Riley comp on him. Um, and I looked, ex again, high exit low numbers on him, 105. I think I saw 107 somewhere. At one point, like those are big numbers. Looking it up real quick, Renato Nunez topped out at 114.8 miles per hour last season. So if this 18-year-old kid's already hitting 105 <laughs> to 107 miles an hour, like give me that kid. Let's let's go. Let's put him in the system. Let's see what he develops into. If he keeps growing, he's going to be one big boy. I mean, <laughs> goodness. Yeah, already listed at 6'5", 215. I, I saw the video, and I liked what I saw in terms of the power. 
uh, we'll just have to see once he's in the system. And, you know, we have a lot of questions right now about when the 2021 season rolls around, how the shutdown of 2020, where we're likely not going to have a minor league season, affects where players are placed. But I think Mayo is going to be someone to watch closely. Uh, the Orioles rounded out the draft uh, in the fifth round with Carter Baumler, a right-handed pitcher out of Iowa. Uh, someone that, you know, from what I have read, was drawing a lot of attention, but then ended up with a very shortened spring season. Um, so dropped off the radar a little bit, but a TCU commit. A little bit of upside here. Uh, right now, it looks like the Orioles are going to have a deal with him. Uh, Bob, what did you think of this pick to round out the draft? Outside of Kerstad, this might be my favorite pick of the draft. I just think this might be a guy where we benefited from no spring season for him because if he looked promising in the beginning of the season and it got shut down, if he continues that, he's a helium guy. Maybe he ends up as a second or third round pick or who knows where he would end up. But especially the way our pitching development has clearly grown under the Elias regime. I like any any time you can get a young, talented pitcher into uh, our development program. And that might be why they don't focus on the upper draft picks being pitchers because they trust their system so much that they, as long as they get someone with talent and Ballmer clearly seems like he has that. I think he was touching 94 already. Then they feel confident in that. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of the pick. Yeah, Apparently, to go off that, John Mioli also has tweeted that Ballmer told his paper that he is going to sign with the Orioles. So okay. bring him in. Yeah, 94 is what I saw, too. Fastball, curveball, changeup. Um, I think there's one article out there that he's working out with uh, Dan Jennings as a former major league reliever, I think some people might be familiar with. Um, the kid seems legit. I think I like Kobe Mayo a lot. I think that's going to be my favorite pick to watch. But Baumler, yeah, like you mentioned, this is a kid who the Orioles are going to have their hands on him now. He's an 18-year-old kid, 17, 18-year-old kid into the system. After seeing what the Orioles minor league pitchers did last year, especially in those lower levels, I'm really excited to get a kid with this skill set into our player development system and see how they develop. Um, Again, these last two picks, I think, are really going to save the draft for the Orioles, especially as fans, as we start diving into them more and learning more and more about them. I think Orioles fans are going to feel a lot better about this draft as a whole. Yeah, and one thing that I, I'm trying to keep in mind with this Michael Elias regime is that, yeah, two or three years ago, we would have looked at this pick and thought, oh, this is you know really, really risky. We don't have confidence the Orioles are going to develop him properly. And we would have had a track record to back that up with. With Michael Elias, we don't have that. We don't really have much of a track record at all. So I think right now the thing is just to keep an open mind about how the Orioles are going to handle him. Um, based on what we saw in particular last year with Grayson Rodriguez, um, there's some encouraging signs of how the initial returns are going for young pitchers in the farm system under uh, Michael Elias' baseball operations department. But I'm hopeful that when Baumler does pitch, uh, that he's someone that within a year or two, we're talking about being very high up in the organization charts, maybe even high up in terms of overall prospect rankings. Yeah. So the the Michael Elias thing is something that I want to discuss, and it's really, for me, the, the big discussion point that comes out of this draft. I did notice on Twitter and on, and on the Baltimore Sports and Life message board 
um, a lot of people already kind of indicating they're souring on Mike Elias uh, two years into his tenure as Orioles general manager. Um, really, with this draft, I don't know right now that that's a fair assessment to take of Elias. Do I think there are some things that the Orioles could have done differently in this draft? Yes. Do I think that there are players they passed over they might regret passing over five years from now? Yes, I do. But I don't view this as some sort of long-term indictment over how the Orioles are going to be proceeding. you got to remember, Elias came in, as Nick said earlier, to a total, or Bob said actually, a total rebuild. And this is his second draft, and the 2019-20 offseason was really his first full offseason in that spot. Because the Orioles hired him relatively late into the 2019 offseason for a 2018 offseason for someone in his position. So do I like every decision the Orioles made in this draft? Not necessarily, but am I souring on, you know, Mike Elias and his process because of it? No. I agree. Yeah. The one thing I like is to me, Elias is clearly in complete control. I feel like this is at least, I mean, I could be wrong. Who knows? But to me, this screams that he is doing what he wants to do if this doesn't nothing about this seems owner driven or budget driven so he has a plan let's give him a chance to execute it and and see how it turns out before we we turn on him too fast yeah i mean there's just there was what talent did this roster have at the major league level when michael Elias took over and when you look at guys like dylan at the major league level when you look at guys like dylan bundy like yeah he progressed at the end of the year a little bit but you really didn't see Dylan Bundy take those big steps forward like I think a lot of people were expecting yes it was it wasn't even a full season Uh, well he got one full season under the Michael Elias system before they shipped him off to Los Angeles but I don't think you saw a lot of those younger guys at the major level progress as well as we wanted to um, other than the John Means success story Um, at the minor league level you saw a lot of successes up and down the farm system from the Gulf Coast League winning championships to Aberdeen and Delmarva and the 2019 draft class performing extremely well in their limited looks. I like the direction this team is going. I know at the major league level things are bleak and when you kind of dump Jonathan Villar, that was a decision, you know, that I didn't like at all. When you're dumping guys like that for really nobody, I I love minor league baseball. I love Orioles minor league baseball. That's why I'm doing this podcast with you guys. But I can't tell you the name that we got back for Jonathan Vlar off the top of my head right now. Um, Easton Lucas? Easton Lucas. There you go. Yeah. Um, I I didn't know. But, yeah, moves like that, again, it's part of the longer process. And I don't want to watch the Orioles lose 100 games for the next two years, but they probably will. Um, But, you know, the minor league system had really no yeah, not this year, thankfully. <laughs> but, you know, there was who was in the minor league system two, three years ago that we were genuinely excited about? I don't think there were very many at all. You know, Chance Cisco, yeah, but we've seen what he's turned out to be. Um, I think we're seeing prospects that we can be genuinely excited about. Um, and this draft class, we got six guys who are all going to sign. They're all going to come into the system next year, most likely. Um, And none of them seem to have really big holes in their game or gaps in their game. So, again, could we have gone Austin Martin, the big flashy player? Sure. But for right now, if you want to go more safe, reliable, polished college bats um, that have less question marks, let's build a foundation and go from there. 
Well said. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Nick. You know, the, the farm system right now is in a better spot than it was two or three years ago. Um, I, I think that would be really uh, hard to deny. The major league level, level right now, there's not much talent. I think even if the Orioles had had a full season this year, it would have been hard to trade from that roster to have built up the farm system more. Um, but again, we're seeing a total shift in philosophy in Baltimore from the way things have been done over the last really 20 years. Uh, I'm willing to give Michael Elias the time to figure this out. And the other thing we have to remember is that if you could go down the list, put together your 10 best executives in baseball, anyone that's been around the game for a while has probably made some really terrible decisions. I don't think there's anyone out there that has a perfect track record. Um, and I'm not saying that Elias is going to be, you know, among that group in a few years. But at the same time, I'm not going to look at this five-round draft and decide, all right, well, they didn't take Austin Martin. They didn't take Cole Wilcox. I didn't necessarily, you know, in particular, w Wilcox, I struggle with that decision a little bit more. But I don't view it as the process isn't working. It's time to move on. Yeah, I yeah. think going back to, like, AJ Preller is another example. You know, I know he's maybe not the prime example of a fantastic executive, but you know, the Padres are a terrible baseball team for pretty much since their existence. And since he's taken over, he made a lot of mistakes. He did a lot of maybe some illegal activities here and there, but like he stockpiled that farm system to where he had five prime shortstops and then a new draft comes around and he uses his first round pick on another shortstop prospect because he just stockpiled that farm system, and now you saw you start to see those pieces come up, reach the major league level, like Fernando Tatis Jr., guys he's traded for. Uh, well, he kind of lucked into Fernando Tatis Jr. I can't really – that's a, kind of a bad example there. But he's still stockpiling through the draft. Um, he's getting these key pieces in. You start to see them reach the major league level, and then he can go spend those big bucks on the Manny Machado and start to fill out that roster. And so, But that takes time. That took three, four years for that to happen. And so, you know, I'm – I'm not going to say I'm 100% aboard with Michael Elias and say I agree with everything he does. I think that's you know, that's kind of you know, short-sighted on any fan to do, but you know, we're moving in the right direction. It's only been a year. Yeah, there are hundreds of decisions every year that a GM makes. Of course, if he if he gets 95% right, that's still five bad decisions a year, you know, give or take. But yeah, and let's not forget we have the J2 coming right up in less than a month, so we're going to add some talent that way. He's clearly improved things with Kirby Perez and that whole operation. So, yeah, let's let's try to stay optimistic. Give him a chance. Yeah, I completely agree with both of you. And before we end the show, um, I want to get your thoughts overall on the draft. Um, I'll start with you, Bob, outside of the Orioles, because we've, you know, obviously we're an Orioles show. We focused on the Orioles, but, you know, other teams, you know, had their future saved by the draft. Uh, beyond the Orioles, was there any big surprises for you? Any big takeaways from the draft? A big surprise would have to be Asa Lacey and Austin Martin falling out of the top three. That's the biggest surprise. But uh, I really liked the Kansas City Royals draft and the Chicago White Sox draft. I feel like they, the Royals especially lucked into Lacey, and then they got um, shoot, they got shortstop Lofton. Can't remember his first name. Their next pick, and then the White Sox got. Kelly, as well as the left-handed college pitcher, Crochet. Uh, so I like that tandem. Padres got a lot of good high school players. Uh, Red Sox, I don't know what they're doing, but they did get Blaze Jordan. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know about surprises, but I, I liked a lot of the teams that drafted out there. thought a lot of teams did a good job. Yeah, I think I really liked the Giants draft just for personal reasons. Um, they got two North Carolina State kids that I got to watch a lot of this year, Patrick Bailey, the catcher, which I thought was something interesting that uh, the broadcast had talked a lot about. Um, Patrick Bailey being a catcher, arguably the top catching prospect in this year's draft, goes to the Giants in the first round who already had one of the top catching prospects in baseball in Joey Bart. And so, but with the National League possibly very likely going to DH in, in the next year or two, that's a smart decision there. Um, again, I think I was waiting for the Orioles actually to go, was it to start today, the second round pick? I think the catch from Ohio State was still available, yeah. Dingler. Dingler, yeah. yeah. I was waiting for the Orioles to draft him just because I wanted to see Orioles Twitter melt down even more. Uh, <laughs> we draft another catcher. But, you know, I like what the Giants did. I don't think there's any major surprises across the board. Um, I wish we could watch these guys play. Like I said last week, I wish we could go out to the fields and watch them play now, but we'll see. Hopefully we get minor league baseball next year. Yeah, I know. This would be right about the time where I'm getting excited to go to Aberdeen Ironbirds games, getting all these draftees, getting, getting started up. Yep, all it does is uh, make me depressed all over again. I was happy the draft was here, now it's over. It's like, damn, can't even watch it. Yeah, um, I think for me, the the pick that I'm most intrigued by is Nick Bitsko to Tampa Bay. Um, Bitsko was sort of a little bit of a mystery in this draft. We know, you know there's a lot of reports that are optimistic about his talent, and it seems like if there's an organization that's going to tap into that talent, the Rays would be one of the likely ones. Um, you know, did it throw things off for the Orioles? I suspect that it did, but I still think Tampa Bay, you know, getting him at 24th with their track record of developing young pitchers, that might turn out to be a really good pick. And you know what? I think the Tigers, with their first two picks, nailed it. Um, I think that Dylan Dingler was a good pick at number 38. And Spencer Torkelson, you know, obviously 1-1, has gotten rave reviews coming into the draft. I'm really intrigued by the idea of him playing third base i don't know if it's going to work but if they could get him to stick at third base even if it's only for the first four or five years of his career um his profile looks a lot different and if nothing else we're seeing where the tigers have some belief in his versatility because we've heard about him possibly as a left fielder um we know about him as a first baseman but the idea that maybe he has three potential landing spots rather than two makes his profile um all the more interesting, and it's someone with his bat that could get to the major leagues quickly. Uh, the other thing for me, Austin Martin and Aza Lacey falling, as you mentioned, Bob. Toronto, uh, Baltimore-Toronto might be an interesting rivalry again in the next four or five years. If the Orioles are able to stockpile their system and the Blue Jays have a core that's built around Austin Martin, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., and Bo Bissett, who I'm very, very high on, I actually don't think the Blue Jays even had to experiment with Austin Martin at shortstop if they don't want to. Um, the AL East, you know, we know the Yankees and Red Sox can always spend, but the AL East might be a lot more interesting in the next few years. Uh, before we sign off, any final thoughts? Uh, was happy to have some real baseball news and stuff to watch to the last couple of nights. So that was that was good. Enjoyed it. Yeah, got a little taste. Hopefully now an agreement can be reached and we can have 
Major League Baseball uh, to finish out the summer. Um, I, I don't know. I don't. I think I'm. I don't know about you guys, but I'm still in the same pretty soured position that I was last week, um, and about a deal getting done. Although they say you know, commissioner says 100% chance there's going to be baseball. I don't believe it, but hopefully in the next week or two something happens. Uh, if not, you know, football's right around the corner. Yep. And regardless of what does happen with the MLB season, we'll be back with some reaction. We may even take a look at the 2021 draft at some point in the future. So um, in the meantime, though, continue to follow us on Twitter at BSL on the Verge, Baltimore Sports and Life. Continue to check out the content um, that is posted for the Ravens, Orioles, Terps, and more. Uh, jump on our message boards. Uh, so certainly between now and our next show, things will be active on those platforms. For now, though, thank you for listening. Uh, for Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens, this is Zach Spedden, and you've been listening to On the Verge.